from the first letter of St. John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, found on page 1021 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Liberty Northeast. Uh, my name is Anthony, and I'm a pastoral resident at L Liberty Harrisburg, and it is my joy to drive across the turnpike and to be with you all this morning. Uh, I had the privilege of hanging out with Pastor Evan and Pastor Kyle a few weeks ago in Oklahoma, and it was a real joy to get to know them more, and so now I'm glad I get to come and spend some time and hang out with you guys. Um, and so this morning, we're going to spend our time looking at the text that was just read, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Uh, at Liberty Harrisburg, we just wrapped up a series looking at 1 John, uh, and I really fell in love with this passage while I was working through it. And so I come, I, I wanted to come and share it with you all today. Um, and in, in exploring this passage, we're going to be taking, we're going to be talking about light. We're going to be looking at John's big claim here that God is light, and walking through what it means for us as believers to walk in his light. And, and in thinking through this idea, I came across this song by Leonard Cohen. Uh, Leonard Cohen is a pretty famous songwriter. Uh, his most well-known song is a song called Hallelujah, a song that most of you have probably heard either on the radio or because it's featured in the cinema classic Shrek. And I, as I was reflecting on our passage in 1 John, uh, this chorus from Leonard Cohen's song, Anthem, really grabbed me. In this chorus, he writes this, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. And while I don't think that Leonard Cohen had 1 John on his mind as he penned these lyrics... I do think he may be onto something because this whole song is wrestling through this idea of imperfection. And when asked later in an interview about what he meant, this is what he said. He said, in writing these lyrics, I was thinking about um, this idea of there is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's where the light gets in. And then he expounded on this line and said, that is where the resurrection is. That is where the repentance is. It's with the confrontation with the brokenness of things. And so just like this song by Leonard Cohen, John 2, in this writing, is wrestling and working through this idea of imperfection. And he is writing to Christians that just like us, we're not perfect. And he is pointing them and pointing us to a God who is light, and calling them to walk in that light, which is not ignoring 
or not pretending that there are no cracks and that everything is fine. But instead, it is letting the light of God confront our imperfection, letting him into those cracks because that is how the light gets in. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text. Father, give us eyes to see your light this morning. Teach us how to walk in your light. Keep us from being deceived and lured into darkness. And grow us into a people who take our sins seriously, who confess our sin, and who rest in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, jumping into this text, as you heard it read aloud, I'm sure that you noticed that this passage is full of these if-then statements, which honestly can make it a bit challenging to to think through and work through. But preceding all these if-then statements is this enormous statement that God is light. And then everything kind of waterfalls and flows from that idea. And so as we navigate this text, we're going to follow that same basic structure. We're going to first take a look at this big idea that God is light, and then take a look at what it means to walk in darkness versus walking in that light. And so that is our outline. God is light, walking in darkness, walking in light. And so we start off talking about God as light. And so we start off in verse 5, and John says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Now, the him here is Jesus. So this grand message, this big idea that John is about to clue us in on, is the message that that he has heard from Jesus and is now proclaiming to us. And that message is God is light. And now, I want us to think about this for a moment because it may cause us to, to kind of raise an eyebrow. Because if we are sharing the gospel with someone who has never heard about Christianity, who has never heard of Jesus, or, or the things that we claim to be true, I'm not sure the line that we would go with is God is light. So what is John getting at? Why is John drawing our attention to this truth in particular? And I think the reason here is that John's overall purpose in writing 1 John is so that all who claim to follow God have a clear understanding of who God is. So they might have fellowship with him and then fellowship with each other. And so for us to be able to have fellowship with God we got to have a clear idea of who he is. We have to understand who this God is. And John is answering this question emphatically by saying God is light. And this idea that God is light is not unique to John. John wasn't like staring at the sun one day, trying to get a tan, and hit with this moment of poetic inspiration. But this language, it's charged with importance, and God is routinely shown throughout the whole of Scripture as being a God of light. Even as early as the first chapter of the Bible, in in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth 
And at its creation, we read that the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the water. But what did God do? God brought light. He created light, separating the day from the night, bringing order and goodness to creation. And so we're two verses into the Bible, and already we see God bringing light into darkness. And as the rest of the story of Scripture unfolds, we see God creating a people for himself, the nation of Israel, who time and time again, he calls a light to the nations, a people who worship God, a people who who follow his commands, and live a life in contrast to the dark world around them as a beacon of light, a nation that shows God's goodness and kindness to the world. And then we flip over to John's gospel, and in John's gospel, he recounts the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we see that he starts off his gospel by referring to Jesus as the light, the true light that gives light to everyone, a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, tells us that all who believe in Jesus, in this light, have been brought from darkness into light. And so this is just kind of a quick survey, and we can easily keep going and spend our whole time working through this idea of God as light. But as you can see, it runs throughout Scripture, and as we kind of pull these threads together, What we can see that is that this statement of God is light is a statement about two main things. One, his holiness, and two, his revelation. Thank you. One, his holiness. God is perfect. He is the source of all things good and right and beautiful. And routinely, the light of God is shown in contrast to the darkness of sin. And as God's light shines in, it corrects and it restores what sin has broken. In thinking through this idea of the holiness of God, I am reminded of Moses on Mount Sinai. In the book of Exodus, we read that uh, Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he spends 40 days up there, which is a long time on the top of a mountain. Uh, But he spends 40 days up there, and he receives the Ten Commandments. And then he comes down glowing, or radiant, as the text says. And that, we can't think of this as just like figuratively glowing, or with a really bright smile, or like he just found the best skincare routine ever. But he was actually physically shining, shining to the point where the other people of Israel were kind of afraid to come near him. And so they ended up putting a veil, a a covering over glowing Moses that would be removed when he would go back up this mountain to commune with God. And this story is just one of the moments in Scripture where we see just a small sample of God's holiness And as his holiness and goodness breaks into the world, there is a scene change. There is an actual effect. And so along with this idea of holiness, we also see that God's, God's light is a statement about his revelation. 
God is not hidden. He doesn't hide. He reveals himself. He shines in the darkness. He doesn't kind of creep around the corners of his creation, trying to obscure his actions. But the story of the Bible is one of God piercing the darkness with his light and inviting all of creation to know and to worship him. Theologian John Stott, in reflecting on this truth of God as light, summarizes this idea beautifully, as he usually does. And this is what he says. Of all the statements about the essential being of God, none is more comprehensive than God is light. It is in his nature to reveal himself as it is the property of light to shine. And the revelation of light is of perfect purity and unutterable majesty. And so right after John drops this enormous statement that God is light, he begins to work through and explain the implications of that. And going back to our story here of Moses on the mountain, our fellowship with God may not cause us to actually glow. Like that's not usually what happens after I read my Bible in the morning. But if it is true that God is holy and he has shown himself to us, and if we walk in his light, if we claim to be followers of him, it should impact how we live. There should be something about how we live, about how we carry ourselves, about how we interact with those in the world around us that mark us as a people of God and as a people of his light. And so it is here that John begins to contrast walking in the light of God versus walking in darkness. And he does this through those if-then statements, starting in verse 6. And so to help us kind of organize ourselves, uh, we're going to pull these two ways of walking apart. And we're going to first look at what it means to walk in darkness and then what it means to walk in light. And so jumping into verse 6, John tells us that if we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so straight off here, we get a good indicator of who John has in mind as he is writing these words. That someone being all who claim to have fellowship with God. Now, often when we speak of those who walk in darkness, we may be immediately tempted to think that we're talking about those who don't know God or who have no interest in the things of God. But that's not who John has in mind. Instead, it is those who claim to follow God. And so that should prompt us to ask the question, well, then what does it mean to walk in darkness? Because if John is aiming at those who claim to be followers of God, then that would mean that this could apply to really anyone in this room today, right? So how would we be able then to tell if we are walking in darkness? How can we know if this is us? And in answering that question, we can look at verses 8 and 10, where John really zooms us in on the core of walking in darkness. In verse 8, he tells us, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he says, 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, that him being God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And so to sum things up, according to John, walking in darkness is denying our sin. And now in hearing this explanation and even reading these words of John, this can be challenging and maybe hard to wrap our head around because I'm not sure there is many of us in here who would be guilty of thinking that we are without sin. I would venture that we would all readily admit that we've made mistakes, that we've acted wrongly, that we have caused harm, that we've lied, that we have sinned. And so if we're not careful, we can kind of read these words of John and we can kind of let ourselves feel off the hook. Like surely this can't be me. I am fully and completely aware of how sinful I am. So I'm just going to check that box and kind of keep moving forward. But let me kind of ask us to slow down just a little bit. Because if we are not careful, we can become so comfortable confessing that we are sinful that we stop confessing our actual sins. And instead, we can let these sins ruminate and fester and grow. Not because we don't realize they're there, but because our view of sin has become so overgeneralized that we really see no issue with these individual sins being there. We don't see them as impacting our life, our walk with God, our fellowship with each other. And instead of waging war against our sin, we can be tempted to make peace with it. And they're just kind of like that patch of weeds that continually break through the cracks of your sidewalk. Or kind of that picture you have in your house you can never quite get to hang straight. Yeah, it's a bit of an eyesore. And you can probably fix it any time. But it's not really hurting anyone, so why put the effort in? And typically, and this is for myself anyway, these are sins that we like to kind of merge with our personalities or we try to explain away. Sins like pride or selfishness or bitterness or having a quick temper or belittling others for our own enjoyment. Instead of saying that we're prideful, we like to say that I just, I'm just really sure of myself. Instead of saying we have a temper, we just say that we have a lot going on and we need to get things done. And before you know it, you've built a wall around these parts of your heart and your life. And I understand that sometimes these sins may be hard to put a finger on, and they can be really hard to pin down. And sometimes, and especially if you're out there and you're working through bitterness or anger, it's because of a sin that's been committed against you. And the line between working through sin that's been committed against you and letting sin work through you is really fine and really hard to discern. And so what I'm not calling us to this morning is to overthink every action and every thought to the point where we cripple ourselves and we burden ourselves down with this weight of perfection we can never achieve. But instead, let me encourage us all this morning not to just check the box that we have sinned and just move on. But let us do the work of being specific with our sins. 
of confronting our sin, of not letting our sins fester in the dark, but instead bringing our whole selves before the light of God and let him expose and burn away all traces of sin. And let the light of God confront the cracks in ourselves, the cracks in our lives, and the cracks in our relationships, because that's how the light gets in. And so while deception and refusing to deal with sin is a mark of walking in darkness, what marks those who walk in light is forgiveness and fellowship. Forgiveness and fellowship. First, forgiveness. In verse 7, John tells us that those who walk in the light, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses them from all sin. And then again in verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who John is pointing to as those who walk in light is not those who are perfect, but it is those who confess their sin and bring it before the Lord to forgiveness and walk in his way. Again, John Stott gives us helpful language here by saying that those who walk in the light have this posture among themselves of honesty and purity. An honesty that calls us to confess our sins and to be clear-eyed about their effect and the damage that it does to ourselves and our relationships. And a purity that drives us to repentance and causes us to want to put those sins to death. And now notice with me the two attributes of God that John links with forgiveness in verse 9, because this is crucial. He links his faithfulness and justice. In verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, God's faithfulness is routinely linked with his forgiveness. God is patient, and he delights in forgiveness. And so it is natural that God would make mention of God's faithfulness. But his inclusion of justice is an interesting one. And as Christians, we celebrate God's justice, but we typically highlight God's justice in connection to his judgment of the wicked, of God ultimately setting things right, but we don't typically link it with his forgiveness. And so why is John sticking God's faithfulness and justice together when speaking of his forgiveness? And the clear answer must be that both God's faithfulness and justice are active in his forgiveness. Because God is faithful to his people, he made a way to deal with their sin. That way being through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who bore the punishment for sin. So then all who call on Jesus no longer stand before God as guilty. But because of Jesus, they stand before God as righteous. And because of this, 
the justice of God no longer demands punishment, but forgiveness. Because God is faithful, because God is just, all who call on him are forgiven. Biblical scholar Howard Marshall uh, says this. He says, the forgiveness of God is not just an act of mercy which stands in opposition to his judgment. God is not making an exception to his own rule. But instead, the mercy and justice of God are ultimately one. And friends, please consider how freeing and how final his forgiveness is. Please see that God is not hand-waving our sin away. He's dealt with it. He has put it to rest. And as the psalmist says, he has cast it as far as the east is from the west. And while we still may have to deal with some of the consequences of our sin, uh, as our sin often will wound and harm others, and that has a cost, but we can rest in the forgiveness of God, knowing that through the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed of all sin. And because of this cleansing, because of, the, because of Jesus, the justice of God now rules us as forgiven. And so as we confess our sin, whether it be privately or here in corporate confession, let it, this not just be some words that we kind of lazily stuff into a prayer, but let us consider the depths of that forgiveness, the freedom of that forgiveness, and let it push us to walk in the light, knowing that while we sin and while we struggle and while we wrestle and strive to keep the good commands of God, that what marks those who walk in the light is not doing these things perfectly, but instead it is confession. And because God is faithful and just, it is a confession that leads to forgiveness. And so one marker of those who walk in the light is forgiveness. And two is fellowship. Take a look again at verse seven as John writes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So a key aspect of walking in the light is that it joins together all of those who are walking in the light as a united people of God. I came across a beautiful example of this earlier in the year. Um, for my side job, apart from Liberty Harrisburg, I work at a missions agency. Um, and I was listening to a conversation about an Afghan church planner that my team works with. So this guy fled Afghanistan when the Taliban took over in 2021. And since then, he has made his way to the U.S. where he works to evangelize and plant churches in refugee communities. And he was telling this story about how he was meeting with some other Afghans at a restaurant. And he had been sharing the gospel with them um, and talking through the differences of Islam and Christianity. And they seemed interested and they had questions, and they had a ton of good conversations, and, and these guys began to like express faith in Jesus. And so they're sitting at this restaurant, and this guy was eating soup, and this soup had little bits of pork in it. 
And for anyone who may not know, pork is forbidden in Islam. But at one point in the meal, one of the other guys he was talking to reaches over and sticks his fingers in this guy's soup, pulls out a piece of pork, and eats it. And this guy's reaction, like many of ours would be, was, why did you stick your fingers in my soup and eat it? Like, some of you are cringing right now, even thinking about it happening to you. You'd be like, all right, I'm out of here. See you later. And this guy's response was this. I ate this pork to show you that I am no longer a Muslim, but that I am a Christian and that we are brothers now. And I thought that was such a beautiful snapshot of the fellowship that the gospel brings. Because these two guys on paper had so much in common. They were both from Afghanistan, living in a different country. They were around the same stage of life. And yet what united them at that moment, at the deepest level, is that they were both walking in the light of the gospel. And so let me just pose this question to us now. How are we reminding each other of our fellowship in the gospel? How are we sticking our fingers in each other's soup? How are we striving to be a people united not just by common interests or common life stages and common backgrounds, but as a people united as the children of God living the way he has taught us to live? How are we reminding each other of the truth of the gospel and pushing each other to walk in his light? How are we calling out to our brothers and sisters when we see them begin to stray into darkness? Are there people in your life who have permission, your permission, to call out your blind spots, to shine a light in the areas you would much rather hide, to very invasively stick their fingers in your soup? And as gross as that may sound, are there people who are willing and allowed to ask you the hard question, to challenge your thinking, to call you back to the light? And going back to our earlier discussion of confessing sin, a key way that we will be able to be specific with our confession is when we have people who speak into our lives and point out the things that we don't see or that we would rather overlook. And so we need people to remind us of our fellowship in the gospel, to call us back to the light because we are all tempted to hide in the darkness. And so church, as we reflect on this passage this morning, let us remember that God is a God of light. And that as his people, as those who claim to follow him, let us not be deceived into making little of our sin, but instead confessing our sin and being forgiven our sin. And let this common forgiveness and common grace unite us as we walk in the light of God together. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of light. Let us remember and cherish that truth this morning. And Father, grow us into a people who long for your light, 
who are unified by your light and who are quick to confess our sins so that we may taste your forgiveness and walk in your light together. Amen.